0: So now we turn to this morning's scripture reading. Today in worship, we're beginning a new sermon series, a series that we're calling Passing the baton. I love that we're starting this series on All Saints Sunday. In this series, we're going to talk about those treasures of the faith, those ministries of the church that get passed down from generation to generation. We're going to talk about the saints who came before us and how how we can pass the faith on to the generations who will come after us. We're going to begin our series this morning with a reading from the Old Testament book of Numbers. Listen now. Listen now to these words, listen for the voice of God as we hear these words from the book of Numbers, chapter 27, beginning with verse 15, the story of Moses. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint someone over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand upon him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. You shall give him some of your authority, so that all of the congregation of the Israelites May obey. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm not done talking about my friend, Pastor Gary. Reverend Gary Sanderson was a beloved part of our Court Street United Methodist Church family. He, he passed away a couple of years ago, but because of the pandemic, we just got around to having a memorial service for Gary right here in this place just a few few weeks ago and so all of those memories of Gary Sanderson are, are fresh in my mind. And by the time I came to Flint six seven years ago Gary was pretty well into the advanced stages of Parkinson's disease and so he as, as time went on was less and less able to tell his own stories. I got to know Gary's smile I got to know Gary's heart directly from Gary himself but most of the stories that I know about Gary's life and his ministry they came from his wife Carolyn And they came from a book that that Gary wrote. So just after he retired, Gary sat down and he decided he was going to write his memoirs. And so he wrote down everything from his earliest days all the way through his ministry and all of the churches that he served. And at one point, Gary and Carolyn were kind enough to let me borrow that book. I got to read Gary's memoirs. And I have to tell you, one of my favorite things to do is to just sit with retired pastors and listen to their stories. Retired pastors have some great stories, and Gary had some of the best. I loved, I loved reading the stories that Gary had to tell after a lifetime of ministry with just a little bit of farming thrown in. And, and I have to tell you that by far and away, my favorite story that Gary had to tell from all of his years of ministry came from the very earliest days when he was serving as a pastor. So when Gary first became a pastor, he was appointed to the Goodrich Methodist Church. It wasn't the Goodrich United Methodist Church. This was long ago that there wasn't even a United Methodist Church. It was still the the Goodrich Methodist Church. And Gary got sent to that church as a very young pastor. And one week he got a call. He was asked to lead a funeral that was happening out of town. Now the funeral was happening all the way over in Cairo. and, And it was the middle of the winter. And there had just been a great big storm, and it was still snowing a little bit. So Gary gave himself plenty of time to arrive at the funeral home, well in advance of the start of the service. But when he got to the address, he wasn't sure that he was at the right place. Because he looked, and and instead of a great big funeral home, what he saw was this rickety old house. It didn't look like a funeral home. The only sign that this was where he was supposed to be was all of the cars that were parked out in front And so Gary, feeling just a little bit nervous, just a little bit anxious, wanted to get the lay of the land, decided he was going to try to sneak in and and look around and just make sure he was in the right place. So he walked up to the front door. He walked through the front door. And what followed, Gary would tell you, was possibly the most awkward moment of his entire life. When he walked in that door, he saw that this funeral home had all of the seating arranged in this unusual way so that all of the chairs were facing the front door. And many of the people had already arrived for the service and most of them had already taken their seats. So when Gary stepped through that door, immediately suddenly he was standing in front of a congregation and every eye was upon him. And it was like that moment in a Western when the stranger walks into the saloon and suddenly the piano stops. And everybody stops playing cards, and everybody stops talking, and they just stare at the new guy. It was like it was like that. There was dead silence there in that room. And Gary looked at those people, and the people looked at him. And then Gary sort of looked around to figure out, now what earth am I supposed to do? And he realized that not only were the chairs arranged in this strange way, but also there was no pulpit. There was no podium. He didn't have any place to put his notes. And so he said, I need to find the funeral director. I need to figure out what's going on and see if I can find some place to put all of my notes. And so he said to the people, excuse me, I'm I'm Pastor Gary, uh, would you by any chance be able to direct me to the funeral director? And the people pointed at a door in the back of the room. So Gary went through the door and he found himself face to face with a man who looked to be about a thousand years old. Now this man had just walked in from the outside. He was putting away a shovel and he was brushing snow off his coat. Gary looked at him and Gary said, are you the funeral director? And the man said, what's that you say? It turns out that the funeral director was, was extremely hard of humor. And so Gary and the funeral director proceeded to shout a conversation at each other, every word of which was clearly audible to the people who were just on the other side of that door waiting for worship to begin. Finally, after shouting at each other for a few minutes, Gary got the director to agree that he could take the, the stand that had been holding up the sign-in book and he could use that as his pulpit. And so Gary went back into the other room Dragged that stand over in front of all those people when he got the service started. And and Gary was so relieved when he got to the benediction, when that service was finally over. He said, the hardest part is behind me. Now all I got to do is go out to the cemetery and do a brief committal service, and now I'll be able to get out of Carolyn and get back home to Goodrich. What Gary didn't know was that the adventure was just beginning. So Gary walked out the front door of the funeral home, and instead of a hearse, what he saw was this rusty old Pontiac station wagon. Now, Gary was not in the habit of driving himself to the cemetery for the committal service. He liked to ride with the funeral director because that gave him a chance to collect his thoughts and and prepare his words. And Gary looked at that rusty old station wagon and he said, please God, don't let that be my ride. He wasn't sure that was even gonna make it to the cemetery. And he was so relieved when the director stepped up and said, not that car. And then his heart sank as the director led him over to an even older, even rustier car, a car that was so ancient it might have been driven by Moses when he led the people through the waters of the sea, and God God took them out of slavery in the land of Egypt. Gary got in the passenger seat, and the director got behind the wheel, and they set off for the cemetery, and as it happens, Gary did not get a chance to collect his thoughts and prepare his words, because the funeral director, it turns out, was a talker. He liked to chat. And the problem was, being so hard of hearing, he also liked to read lips. And so every time he asked Gary a question, he would turn and look at Gary. And every time he turned and looked at Gary, the car would veer off into on traffic. And so people would honk their horns and he would jerk the wheel back into his lane just in time. Gary said he spent the whole trip to the cemetery praying, please God, please God, just get me to the cemetery alive. All I want to do is get to the cemetery alive. They got to the cemetery. Gary got out, found the grave, stood by the side of the grave and led a, a committal service there in the freezing cold. And when it was over, Gary said, I just... I wanted to get back in the car and get back home. All I wanted to do was get out of there, but the funeral director had other ideas. He said, no, we stay until the casket is in the vault and the vault is sealed. And so Gary stood there by the graveside with the funeral director, watching all of the other mourners get in their cars and leave. And Gary thought to himself, oh no, Now, when we crash on the way back, there's not going to be anybody to pick up the pieces. It's just going to be busted and busted up car. And so they waited and they waited and they froze. And when Gary was good and frozen like a pastor popsicle, finally the, the casket was in the vault and the vault was sealed. And so they got back in the car and the funeral director started the car and he put his foot on the gas and nothing happened. The car didn't go anywhere. Now, Gary could hear the tires spinning underneath the car and creating ice. They parked in a snowbank. That's why the car wasn't going anywhere. He could hear the tires spinning, but the director, he couldn't. And so he just kept mashing down on that accelerator, digging them deeper and deeper in until they were well and truly stuck. At which point, the director volunteered Gary to get out and push. And so that's what Gary did. He got out, he put his hands on that rusty bumper and he pushed while the tires of that car were kicking up slush and ice all over his funeral suit. They finally made it back to the funeral home. Gary finally made it home. And when he walked in the door late that night, Carolyn, his wife, looked at him and said, well, Gary, how was the funeral? And Gary said, you don't want to know. And you wouldn't believe me if I told you. I love I love that story. I really I really do. I wish I could have heard Gary tell it in his own voice. I got to read it. I wish I could have heard it in his own words. I love that story and maybe maybe by now you've got an idea of why it is. I love to sit with retired pastors and just hear the stories that they have to tell. Retired pastors have got some great stories. Gary's were some of the best. I've heard some other good pastors from not stories from retired pastors as well. I can remember I talked to one pastor who who would talk about his parsonage that was so poorly constructed that in the winter, every morning, he would have to get up and shake the snow off the blankets that he had been sleeping under all night long. I remember another pastor who talked about the congregation that he served where the people couldn't afford to pay him in cash. And so instead they paid him in food. They paid him in cans of food. And some of those cans of food came in without labels on. And so there were evenings when he and his family would play a game called, is it hash or is it dog food? <laughs> and before those pastors, even before those pastors, there were the circuit-riding preachers, right? There were these pastors who would ride from town to town on horseback, spending weeks at a time away from their families. That's if they could even afford to have a family. I love to hear these stories from generations past. I love to hear these stories of the saints who built the church that you and I inhabit and worship in today. I love to hear these stories, and I've always come away from these conversations. I always come away from these stories with a a feeling of awe and wonder at what the generations who came before us were willing to sacrifice, and what they were able to accomplish with just faith and the gifts that they had at their disposal. And I always, when I hear these stories, I always feel just a little bit of, uh, also also a weight of responsibility on my shoulders, and a little bit of self-doubt, wondering, how can I, how can we possibly fill such big shoes? And that's probably exactly what Joshua felt when he found out that he was going to have to take over from Moses. Now today we have a story from the Old Testament, a story from the life of Moses. Today we're picking up the story of Moses at the very end of Moses' journey. If you've hung around the church a bit, maybe you know some parts of the story of Moses. Maybe you remember that one day when Moses was a shepherd walking through the wilderness, suddenly God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, and God spoke to Moses. And God said, Moses, I have a job, I have a mission for you. You are going to lead my people out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And like Gary Sanderson in middle school at camp, Moses argued and Moses pushed back. Moses said, God, there must be somebody better qualified for this than I am. Go and find somebody else to lead your people out of slavery. But God was persistent. And finally Moses agreed and Moses did lead God's people out of slavery in the land of Egypt. As they were leaving the land of Egypt, they came to a place where there was a great big body of water in front of them. Moses lifted his staff in the air and the waters parted. They stood up to either side and the people walked through on dry land. Moses led the people to a mountain. Moses went up the mountain and talked to God and God wrote the commandments of the law on tablets of stone. Moses carried those tablets down the mountain. The people put them in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. and for four 40 years Moses led the Israelites through the wilderness as they carried the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. For 40 years Moses led the people. And then finally Moses led the people right up to the banks of the Jordan River. Moses led the people right up to the very border of the Promised Land. And now, more than 100 years old, Moses looked across the river, he looked into the Promised Land, and he said, This is as far as I go. Moses was tired. He went up a hill. He could look out over the river and over the promised land. And then Moses had a conversation with God. Moses said, God, it's time. I need you to appoint somebody. I need you to find somebody else to lead your people over the river and into the promised land. Find somebody to lead your people so that they will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And God said, okay, here's what you do. Find Joshua. Gather all of the people together. Take Joshua up in front of all those people. Put your hand on his head and transfer your authority, transfer your power to Joshua so that the people follow him when he leads across that river. Can you imagine what Joshua must have been feeling? Can you imagine what Joshua must have been thinking when he felt the hand of Moses on his head and saw every eye of all the people of the Israelites looking up at him in that moment? Can you imagine the sense of awe and wonder and responsibility and self-doubt that he must have had in them moment. He must have wondered, will I ever be able to fill the sandals of the man who led the Israelites out of slavery in the land of Egypt? Will I ever be able to fill the sandals of the man who parted the waters and led God's people to freedom? Will I ever be able to fill the sandals of the man who went up the mountain and brought back the commandments of the law? How am I ever going to walk in the sandals of Moses? It was a few days later that Joshua got his answer. Moses died there in the wilderness. He never did cross over into the promised land. The people had a funeral for Moses. And then after the funeral, Joshua gathered all the people together on the banks of the Jordan River. And he said, all right. He said to the men who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, go on and wade into the water. And so the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the water. And as soon as their toes dipped into the water, the water stood up on either side parted just like it had for Moses as they were leaving the land of Egypt. The water stood up on either side, the river stopped flowing, and the people once again walked across on dry land. And That was when Joshua, knew. that was when he understood that the journey of God's people would continue, not because he was as faithful as Moses, but because the God who was faithful to Moses would also be faithful to him. But think back, those names that we read in worship just a moment ago. What did you think? What did you feel when we were reading those names? I can tell you what I felt. I felt awe and wonder and gratitude and I felt a little bit of the weight of responsibility and maybe even a little bit of self-doubt as we were reading those names because if you look at that list of names, you can see that we have some mighty big shoes to fill. I read that list of names and I know that I am no Lenore Calvert who week after week faithfully went over to Crossover Outreach and stocked the shelves of the food pantry so that people who are hungry in our neighborhood would not go without I read that list of names and I know that I am no Margaret Abrams, no Betty Cross, no Virginia Peters, three women whose friendship and whose service held this congregation together. They were part of the glue that held this congregation together for almost a hundred years. I read that list of names and I know I know that I am no Arlene Crampton. Arlene lived her life with such integrity that she was courageous enough to be who God made her, even though she knew that it might bruise some feelings and even break some friendships. I don't have her courage. I read that list of names and I could go on and I could go on into the names of the people who who we lost in the previous year. I am no Andy Bentley. Andy, who was one of the most faithful men I've ever met. Andy, who could say more in three words than sometimes I can say in 30 straight minutes of talking. Andy, who led this congregation with integrity and generosity in so many ways for so many years. I, I know that I can't fill the shoes of the people who are on that list. But I am not afraid to keep walking forward. Because I know, and I hope that you know too, that the God who walked with them is also walking with us. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the saints. We give you thanks for the gifts that they have left us. This church, this family, these ministries, this legacy of faith. God, when we feel that burden of responsibility and when self-doubt begins to creep into our hearts, we pray that you would take us by the hand you would nudge us, that you would speak to us, that you would reveal yourself to us so that we would know that everything they did, they did by your power. Every great deed they did in your spirit. And that spirit that was with them is with us now. All these things we pray in Jesus. Amen.